I'm Kevin Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. I'm on number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580, in this hour. Imagine being shot five times by police in a case of mistaken identity. Wrong guy. Shot five times. And then you wake up in a hospital bed to realize that you are paralyzed from the waist down. Can that kind of pain ever become purposeful? Would you ever forgive the cop who shot you? Could you ever imagine partnering with the police in community healing? In this hour, a conversation with Leon Ford that you will now get to hear for yourself, as I said at the top of our show. Leon Ford, good to have you on KBLA, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm well. Thanks for having me. It's my great honor to have you on. Glad we have an hour because there's a whole lot to unpack in this hour. Leon has a new book out. It is called An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. Uh, Leon Ford will talk about An Unspeakable Hope as we move through this hour. Uh, But let me start at the beginning, uh, and that is with you sharing the story of what happened Uh, When you were 19 years old, back in 2012, the microphone is yours. Take your time. Tell me the story. What happened? Absolutely. So November 11th, 2012, I was actually driving to my grandmother's house for Sunday dinner when I was pulled over by two Pittsburgh police officers. I instantly provided my driver's license, registration, and car insurance. Everything was registered to me. Leon Ford. They ran my name in their system. We all forward and everything came back clean. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you know, proceeding with the traffic stop, they decided to say, hey, let's type in L Ford in the system. And if you can imagine, almost every name that starts with the L, last name Ford, came up in their system. And um, Lamont Ford, somehow they just, you know, picked out him um, because he had a, you know, allegedly had a warrant. And they told me that I was lying about my identity, and instead I was Lamont Ford. And so these officers, you know, questioned me on the side of this road, uh, more so interrogated me for a little over 20 minutes, actually. Um, they threatened me, you know, uh, if you, we know you're lying about being uh, Lamont Ford. We know you're Lamont Ford. You know, your ID is fake. Where did you get this car? Those types of things. And um, over and over again, I told them, my name is Leon Ford. You know, this is my birthday. This is the address. Um, but they never, you know, took my word. They they thought I was lying. And, um, you know, after about 22 minutes, the officers decided to go hands-on and, and pull me out of the vehicle. When they did that, I panicked. I was afraid for my life, and I decided to drive off. What I didn't know was that they had called backup, and one of the officers jumped inside of my car on the passenger side and shot me five times point-blank range, once in my neck, twice in my chest, once in my arm, and once in my hip. And one of the bullets that went through my chest hit my spinal cord and, and paralyzed me. <clears throat> I'm uh, just trying to catch my breath here uh, because that story is, uh, it, it's, 
I know it happened because I, I know your book, and I and I and I and I know you uh, didn't come on this program to to, to tell a lie that big. Uh, so clearly, this is what happened to you. But it seems so impossible. It seems so implausible. It seems so unreal that you could show them your driver's license. This is who I am. I am Leon Ford. And for whatever reason, they just chose not to believe you and insisted that you were lying, insisted you were somebody else. I, I, I'm sure you've thought about this more times than, than you can count. Like, why, why, why would two police officers just not take you at your word when you produced your driver's license? Like, what, what's that about? Yeah, it, I mean, it was a very, like, I was afraid for my life, yeah. you know. Um, and, and if you can imagine, you know, having all of my cr- credentials and these officers not, you know, taking it for an answer, they, they made me out to be someone I wasn't even. And there, there was no way that I, I, you know, I could get them to believe me. They had their minds made up. And that's why, like, a lot of people ask, like, why would you pull off? Why would you drive off? That's why. You, you were know, scared, I, yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's heartbreaking. And, and, you know, that's what eventually, you know, inspired me and encouraged me to uh, lean into these relationships with law enforcement and help train police officers, help understand, you know, how to make traffic stops safer for people like me. Yeah. Um, there goes Leon jumping ahead of the story. I ain't mad at him. It's his story. So, yeah. you know, you know what this hour is headed. He's already sort of teased you with that. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, and the work he's doing these days. But there's a great deal more to unpack about this story. His book is called An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness and Building a Better Future for My Son. Uh, when he woke up in that hospital bed, uh, he was confronted with two life altering realities. Becoming a new father, which we'll talk about, and discovering, as I said earlier, he was paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, before we jump to his work today, again, a great deal more to unpack about what happened that fateful day uh, when he was put over by these two uh, Pittsburgh uh, police officers in a shocking case of mistaken identity, marked, of course, by you know what, racial profiling. More with Leon Ford when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. You are indeed, and our guest in this hour is Leon Ford. He's author of the book, An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son, just getting started in this hour with a story that almost sounds surreal. Um, uh, in, in case you've just tuned in, Leon was sharing with us uh, what happened back in 2012 when he was 19 years old. He's pulled over by Pittsburgh police officers. Uh, he uh, presents his uh, his uh, driver's license and other credentials, and they just refuse to believe him. They just will not accept that he is who he says he is. Uh, and they run his name, Leon Ford, comes back clean. Uh, they then type in L. Ford, and they find uh, an L. Ford uh, who has an outstanding warrant, they say. Uh, and they insist that he's lying, that he really isn't Leon Ford. Um, and uh, before you know it, um, he shot five times uh, trying to escape uh, these officers for fear that something bad is about to happen, and indeed it did happen. 
Um, but I can understand being frightened uh, by these cops who just absolutely refuse to believe who you are. Uh, to his point, uh, to his story, he panicked, uh, tried to pull away from these cops. Uh, one of the cops jumps in the passenger seat of the car and shoots him five times at point blank range. Um, those are the details in case you've just tuned in. Now, now I want to start to interrogate some of those details. So, Leon, t- tell me again, tell the audience again why you were pulled over by these Pittsburgh cops in the first place. So I allegedly read a stop sign, mm-hmm. and that's why they stopped me. Mm-hmm. Um, did you run a stop sign? I did not run a stop sign. Okay. Um, so they pulled you over. Uh, what time of day is this? It was in the evening around 9 p.m. on a fall night. Mm-hmm. So um, adding to your fear is that this isn't in the middle of the day. This is at night, and you don't know what's about to happen under the cover of darkness. Oh, yeah. The road was dark. It, it was a, you know, a side street in Pittsburgh. And here's the thing. Uh, you know, this wasn't the first time I was pulled over. Um this particular police station in, in, in Pittsburgh, you know, w- was known for stopping people, for beating people up, for taking people's money. Um, I mean, they they were notorious, and um, that also fed into my my fear. Mm-hmm. Um, when they refused to believe you. After your protestation, uh, this went on for 20 plus minutes, as you said. So time and time again, you were trying to convince them that you are, in fact, who you say you are, uh, who you say you are matches with all of your identification, uh, your driver's license, your insurance, whatever, whatever credentials you're presenting to them. Everything matches up and they refuse to believe you in that moment in real time. How did you process, Leon, that they, for whatever reason, were refusing to believe you. How did you process that? How were you dealing with that in that moment? Yeah, so in real time, my heart began to pound. I was extremely afraid and I was I was honestly confused because, you know, I knew my address. Mm-hmm. I knew obviously knew my birthday. I gave them several other identifying uh things that they could use to say this has to be Leon Ford and not not Lamont Ford, but still they they refused to you know believe that I was Leon Ford and you know I, at some point I didn't know what to do, especially after they began to threaten me because I didn't know what type of trouble you know Lamont Ford could be in. Um, I didn't know what these officers were capable of, and not again why I decided to drive off. Mm-hmm. These are black or white officers, or something else. They they were uh, three white officers. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that factor in for you? Were you given that you're black, you're a 19 year old black man, you're confronted by three white officers who refuse to believe you? Um, how, how did that factor into the scenario that evening, as you were afraid of what might happen to you? Uh, it, sir. Oh, uh, Pittsburgh is a very black and white city mm-hmm. and um you know if it if they if they were black police officers there's like a 
98% chance that I would know them mm-hmm. and they would know me or my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, having these, these, you know, three white police officers uh, who I didn't know, they didn't know me, just threatening me. It, it was, you know, I, I was fearing for my life. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that after this goes on for a while, these cops decide um, that they are not going to believe your true story about your true identity. And somebody reaches in the car to try to pull you out of the car. Tell me what tell me what you recall about what, what happens in that moment, how you process the fact that not only do they not believe you, now they're reaching in the car trying to pull you out of your car. Yeah, so before they even try to pull me out of the car, uh, my fear told me to lock the doors. So I, I had locked the doors. The officer actually reached in my window and unlocked the door before he opened the door up. And the two officers were in my doorway, you know, for a few seconds. It, it felt like minutes, but really a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, one hand on my shoulder, one hand on the side of my sweatshirt. And um, they were, you know, saying, we're going to pull you out of the car. We're going to beat you, you know, threaten me, you know, using profanity. And, um, you know, that's when, you know, I thought to myself, I'm going to turn this car on and, and drive off. Before before we go forward, um, you lock the door again because of your fear. You're a 19 year old black man. It's 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 pitch black outside. It's after nine o'clock. You're on a a, a, a a narrow street in 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 Pittsburgh. Um, again, you're black. Three white officers. And did they ask you? Do you recall that they asked you to step out of the car uh, after you locked the doors? Or did they just reach inside, unlock it, and open the door themselves? Here's here's the another interesting. They actually asked me to come to their car to see a picture of Lamont Ford, and I thought that was very strange. Mm. And so I told the officers, I don't see a reason why I should come to your car to look at a picture of Lamont Ford. I know I'm not Lamont Ford. My name is Leon Ford, and that's when they want hands on, and you know. You know, I, I often think about this night, and I always, you know, wonder to myself, would I have stepped out the vehicle if they would have simply asked me? But it, there was some type of like a manipulative nature, right, to get me out of the car. And in my mind, I'm thinking they're trying to do something illegal. They're trying to beat me up. They're trying to harm me because there's no way. I've never heard of a police officer asking anyone to step out of the vehicle to come to their vehicle and look at a photo of somebody else. And and, and just because I'm curious, it makes no sense. Uh, I, I get it. It doesn't make sense to you and you were in the middle of it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to anybody listening right now, I'm sure. But did they tell you or did you surmise any good reason for why they wanted you to see a picture of someone you are not. I mean, I I don't I don't get that. Not at all. I I mean, I was so confused and afraid. Yeah, I I don't get why they'd ask you to look. All right, so they start trying to. They open your car door. They start trying to pull you out of the car. What happens next, Leon? For they was trying to pull me out of the vehicle, and I started the car up. 
and immediately drove off. Um, almost, you know, maybe two seconds went past um, before I remember hearing the gunshots. And, um, you know, again, I, I never knew there were, they called backup. And so I didn't know who jumped in the passenger seat. Um, and I just remember crashing the car into a porch. When I crashed the car into the porch, uh, almost immediately, I remember being snatched out of the vehicle, slammed face down on the concrete and uh, handcuffed. During that moment, I didn't know I had been shot. I thought maybe I had been tased until I, I could taste the blood coming out of my mouth mm. and I could feel the blood coming out of my chest under me as I laid on the concrete. And um, one of the officers, you know, knelt next to my head and told me that he hoped that I would die. And, um, you know, I, I just remember breathing and, and you know, and counting my breaths. I, I was a boxer before I got shot. And, and so, you know, I was familiar with how to breathe correctly, uh, especially during stressful situations. And so I would breathe, um, inhale and exhale until the ambulance came. And I remember the ambulance cutting my clothes off and putting, putting me on the gurney. When they put me inside of the ambulance, I remember saying my name over and over again. You know, I'm Leon Ford. This is my birthday. I remember saying my parents' names and their phone numbers, um, and also my grandma's name, her phone number, and, and address. I just remember I wanted to keep talking so I didn't pass out. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I passed out. And um, next thing I remember, I woke up you know, in the ICU with tubes coming out of my body. Mm. But this cop kneels down next to you and tells you that he hoped that you would die? Yes. I don't remember which officer it was because I was laying face down. However, one of the officers did kneel next to my head. Mm. And again, for somebody, for those who may have just tuned in, you were shot five times. Tell me again where those bullets hit you. Once in my neck twice in my chest, once in my arm, and once in my hip. And one of the bullets that went through my chest hit my spinal cord. Mm. Um, I'm glad you passed out as opposed to bleeding out. Um, if, if you'd bled out, obviously we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I'm glad you passed out instead of bleeding out. Um, but when you, what do you, what do you recall um, feeling, knowing, seeing, when you woke up? When I opened up my eyes, I remember hearing the noise, the beeping noises of the machines they had me hooked up to. I had a tube down my throat. And uh, I remember looking directly ahead of me because I, I wanted to see my family. And um, instead of family being in the room, there was a police officer in my room. Uh, I was shackled to the bed even though they knew I was paralyzed and I was on 24-hour guard from Pittsburgh police officers. It took about two weeks for my family um, to get the uh, opportunity to visit me. Uh, they had to hire an attorney who got a motion so my mom could 
um, visit me, and that was my first visit. And so I was, again, I was terrified. Could you imagine being shot by a police officer and waking up in a hospital with, you know, no loved ones for comfort um, just to see more police officers? Yeah. And I remember one one, one of the, 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 you know, most devastating moments was um, I, I, I used to, I had to use a, a, it was like a suction tube that I would use to get saliva out of my mouth so I wouldn't choke. And um, I remember one one night I had dropped it and I, I was, you know, tapping on the bed to get the police officer's attention because I couldn't reach the button to call my nurse. And the police officer looked at me as I was coughing and he decided to turn the TV up. And, um, you know, this, this happened, you know, this went on for about three minutes and I, I was, you know, coughing really hard before one of my nurses ran in the room and, uh, you know, got the saliva out of my throat and, you know, helped, you know, provide some relief. And she was furious with this, this police officer. And, um, and, you know, again, I, I thought to myself, man, these, these people are trying to kill me. Now, there's no question. He, they, they wanted you to die. Uh, he turns the TV up so they wouldn't hear your coughing down the hallway outside that door. Uh, Absolutely. and hope that you would die on your own saliva. And uh, I hear your point. The nurse came running in, and I can imagine as a as a healthcare worker how furious she had to be at that cop for not saying anything, not asking for help, not picking the item up off the floor to give it back to you, nothing. He turns up the television hoping that he could drown out the sound of your cough. This, this is this, – this is – this is America, first of all. This is America, number one. But number two, it's just hard to when you hear stories like this, it's hard to believe something this surreal. Um, but it happened. It happened to Leon Ford. And I know you're already processing the fact that he's paralyzed from the waist down. He ain't going nowhere. And he's still shackled to the bed. Uh, to his point, you've been shot five times by cops and you wake up and cops are in your room, but I I'm stuck on this, which we're going to get to when we come forward. His precious mother, his family, but his mama can't get to him for two weeks. You have to hire a lawyer to go see your baby in the hospital. Two weeks, his mother can't get to him. His name is Leon Ford. No, really, that's his name, Leon Ford. He's not Lamont Ford. He's Leon Ford. That's who he is. His book is called An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. I ain't even got to the good part of this story yet, the part that's going to make you shake your head when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Our guest is Leon Ford, author of the new book, An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. Uh, Leon, I, I, I'm, it's hard to know where to go next, man. But let me let me just ask about your precious mother. How did your mother, how did your family process what had happened to you? You are paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, you are handcuffed to a bed in a hospital. You've been shot five times by a Pittsburgh uh, a police officer at point blank range. Uh, you wake up and you don't see family. You see the same police who shot you. Uh, standing in your in your hospital room, uh, you go into a, a coughing fit. 
rather than call for the nurse, uh, the cop in the room turns up the television as if to drown out the sound of your coughing so that no help will come and maybe you'll die uh, in that bed. Uh, how, did your, how did your mother process not getting to her baby for two weeks? My mother was devastated, and, you know, she didn't know what my condition was because they didn't share this information. And so the only information that, you know, she was able to get was that I was in the ICU, and that was it. And so it was up until the, uh, my attorneys um you know, filed this motion that they knew that I, you know, I was in the ICU. They knew how many times I had been shot and my mother was able to see me. And my mom, she was just relieved, you know, both of my parents, you know, um, they were relieved that I was alive because they didn't know if I had survived or not. Um, and then the second thing is they had lost the child before. So when I, when I was in, the eighth grade, I was 13 years old. My 10-year-old sister was actually hit by a truck and killed. And so they were just grateful that they had not lost a child. And so they could, you know, deal with me, you know, being paralyzed. Uh, and, you know, they just wrapped their arms around me and, and supported me through that, through that process. Yeah, that, that's too much pain for any parent or parents to have to deal with losing a daughter at 10 and now their son uh, in a case of, I don't even want to call this mistaken identity. That I, I, I introduced this conversation in this hour and I need to back off of that because this is not a mistaken identity. Um, it's referred to, uh, and I refer to it as a case of mistaken identity, but when they refuse to believe you, even though you're, you're presenting your legitimate credentials, that shows that you are Leon Ford. That is not a case of mistaken identity. So I, my, my frame is wrong. My friend Connie Rice, our regular contributor, always says, Tavis, get your frame right. You got to get the frame right. This is not a case of mistaken identity. They wanted him to be Lamont Ford, but he told him, I'm, I'm Leon Ford. And he provided all the evidence to prove that. This ain't no mistake. This is arrogance. This is petulance. It's white supremacy. It's a lot of things. It ain't a case of mistaken identity. So let me just apologize to Leon and back off of that phrase. That is not what this is about. Uh, and um, I got to get my frame right. So having said that, when you realized that you were paralyzed from the waist down, having been shot five times by a cop and maltreated by other cops who did not want to just trust and believe the truth you were telling them with all the evidence you presented, um, you wake up, you, you're paralyzed, waist down. How did you, <laughs> in that moment, process that, Leon? Honestly, I was numb. You know, I was in so much physical pain that once the doctor came into my room and said, we, you know, we have good news and we have bad news, the good news is you're going to survive, the bad news is you won't never walk again. Um, I was numb. I, you know, I didn't know how to take that information and I would, you know, say that I got, I received this information before I was able to see my parents. Mm. Right. So, mm. th th you know, th this doctor came and, and shared that information with me before my mom came to visit me. Right. And so I was numb. I was still confused. I was, you know, thinking about my parents 
did they even know I had been shot? Did they know where I was at? Because I, I know my parents, they would have been right by my side. Mm-hmm. And so those thoughts, you know, uh, you know, drowned out the, you know, the, the, you know, this idea that I couldn't walk again. Mm. How, how did, how did you, oh Lord, how, how did you, I keep saying process cause I can't figure out a better way to deal with what you had to be going through in that moment. But how did you square the fact that you had done nothing wrong? You had told the truth. You presented all your credentials to the cops and yet they still shot you. And you're never going to walk again. How did you how did you square the fact that you had done nothing wrong and through no fault of your own, you weren't gonna walk again? You know what? In those moments it was hard to even think about because, you know, immediately after I found out that I was paralyzed, I was also arraigned from my hospital bed and I was facing time in prison. And so I didn't have the opportunity to feel, you know, the the different levels of, um, like, there was so much uncertainty around that time of my life that, you know, a lot of these thoughts and questions that people have didn't pop up in my mind. I was in and out of, you know, sleep because I was on heavy medication. My body was in so much pain. I didn't, I was still in the ICU, so I didn't know, you know, you know, I would survive, although they told me I would. Um, I was dealing with this, you know, the idea that I was, or the fact that I was paralyzed, that I was now facing jail time, and I was wondering where my family was. Mm. I mean, it was it was a it was a lot it was a lot to take in, and on top of that, I had a a child on the way because my girlfriend was was pregnant with our baby, and she was due almost any day. Mm. Um, when you said arraigned, you were dealing with all this stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on. You just laid it out. But one of those things that you were being arraigned and facing time in prison, for what specifically? I was charged with escape, resisting arrest, three counts of aggravated assault. <laughs> on uh, Yeah, it, it was, there were, I think, two more other charges. Uh, but they, I mean, they chomped up these charges so much. Uh, and so I had that to deal with also. This, this would be laughable if it weren't so serious. It would really be laughable if it weren't so serious that <laughs> they won't believe who you are. You panic and you pull away. You, 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 you're shot five times. You're never going to walk again. And they want to arraign you. <laughs> they want to arraign you uh, and, and put you in prison. And now you understand why I asked the question for what? Um, all right. Your, 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 your parents finally get to you two weeks later. What happens then? We were just grateful that I was alive. Yeah. You know, um, my family got to me, you know, uh, they just loved on me, you know, and, Although I was paralyzed, although I had this experience, they were grateful not to lose another child. And, you know, my mom, she was, she was comforter, you know, uh, my father, you know, he was, he was more of the, you know, we got to get these attorneys involved Mm -hmm. and and some, somebody has to make this right. Mm. 
Um, I started this conversation uh, about 45 minutes ago with uh, Leon Ford uh, raising these questions. Um, well, let me, just, let me just tell you what again what I said in case you just tuned in. Uh, I said in this hour, imagine being shot five times by police in a case of mistaken identity and then waking up in a hospital bed to realize that you are paralyzed from the waist down. And then I posed these three questions. Can that kind of pain ever become purposeful? Would you ever forgive the cop who shot you? Could you ever imagine partnering with the police in a community healing program? So you see where we're going when we come forward with Leon Ford on KBLA Talk 15. Tavis Smiley, some breaking news here before we get back to Leon Ford. Um, if you were around for the first hour, and I pray that you were, hope that you are around for every hour of this show every day. Um, but in our first hour, we were talking about the debt deal. Uh, the debt bill that uh, uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden agreed to over the weekend. And in our guest, uh, with our guest in the first hour, Chris Lehman, D.C. Brill Chief for The Nation magazine, I, I, I said to him, um, this may be the moment the chickens come home to roost because there are a number of conservative members, um, the Freedom Caucus, as they are called, in the House who eventually decided to vote for Kevin McCarthy. You remember all those votes? Vote 10, 12, 14, 15, whatever number. However, I lost count how many votes it took to get him across the finish line as speaker. But he gave up so much. And one of the things he agreed to was to change the rules and that and that any time, at any time, on any day, they could call a right-now vote on his speakership. Right now, they can call a vote on his speakership. That is not the way the rules had been, but he agreed to that change to satisfy the members of this Freedom Caucus. They could call a vote on his speakership right now, just like that. Well, breaking news, far-right members unhappy with the debt deal are now floating, threatening McCarthy's speakership. As I said in the first hour, this is what I was afraid of, not afraid of, but <laughs> was preparing myself for, that some of these Freedom Caucus members not happy with this deal he cut with Joe Biden we're going to come after him. Uh, and so uh, we will see what happens. Uh, but that is the story out of Washington right now, that these far-right members of the Freedom Caucus are unhappy with this debt deal, and they are floating, threatening McCarthy's speakership. We'll see if it actually materializes uh, into a vote or anything beyond that. Uh, but that's exactly what I was saying literally an hour ago as we started our program today that might happen. We shall see. Uh, that said, we continue our conversation out with Leon Ford, uh, and I want to get come right to those three questions. I'm watching my time here. Again, those questions I posed earlier were, can the kind of pain that Leon endured become purposeful? And could you ever imagine forgiving the cop who shot you? And could you further imagine uh, partnering with the police in a community healing program? Let me take them one at a time. I want to start with this, Leon Ford. One, um, how do you forgive somebody doing what they did to you? When I think about forgiveness, I think about quality of life. So I, I don't have the, the traditional uh, idea of forgiveness, you know, where it's like, you know, turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. um, my, my for, I thought about how I wanted to live my life. And, and so can you imagine trying to live a life where you're triggered every time you see a police car or, you know, I found myself triggered Every time I thought about this officer who shot me, better yet, 
I remember when my son began taking his first steps, and I, I was so traumatized that all I could think about was the fact that I couldn't walk. And so this experience was literally snatching the most precious moments away from my life. And so I decided to take that back, right? And mm -hmm. I saw forgiveness as a pathway to, you know, take my life back, to, you know, take control over my life by, you know, just let it, letting go, right? You know, um, you know, it, it, it's like a, a debt that you, you will never collect. So why, why hold on to it? And, and so I decided to let it go and move forward with my life. Mm. Uh, so, so tell me more then about how you have taken this pain and turned it into some meaningful purpose in your life. Absolutely. I, w I was so depressed. Uh, I was not only depressed, I was suicidal and also homicidal. I, I felt like I had no purpose, uh, and, and had no reason to live. Um, and then my son was born my son was actually born in the same hospital where I was recovering. So I believe I was on the seventh floor and he was born on the fourth floor. And my son gave me, you know, some hope and, and inspiration. And, and I thought about, you know, if I was to retaliate against a police officer or if I was to take my own life, what message would that send to my son? You know, and, and also who would be there to raise my son? And, and so I, I had to make some, some different uh, decisions. And, and so I decided to lean into, you know, the leadership. I decided to help, you know, make a difference within my, my community through mentoring and eventually training police officers. Mm. Um, one, one of the things that, you know, people have a hard time understanding is like, how do you, how do you work with police officers? And, you know, why do you forgive? And, you know, I think about, my son and the, and the many young people around the country. And, and, and I didn't just wake up with this, you know, perspective. I, this, it took years for me to, to overcome that hatred mm -hmm. and, and resentment. Um, but I, so like I shut down streets, I protested, I called the mayor racist and called the former police chief racist and all those things. Um, but I didn't change anything. Hold that thought. You did all that. We didn't change anything. So we'll we'll find out what he has been doing to change things in our remaining moments with Leon Ford. Miles and JD, my producer and board op, my board op and producer, came running in here during that break asking me a bunch of questions. And I said to them what I'm going to say to you right now. I've written 24 books in my lifetime, something like that. A number of New York Times bestsellers, as many of you know. Uh, I know how to sell a book. Uh, I know there are questions you have right now about whether or not Leon got a settlement. <laughs> I know you've got questions like what happened to the cops. Uh, let me just say this to you. His book is called <laughs> An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. You can get the book. An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. This is your way to help Leon Ford live the life, uh, live a better life by supporting him in picking up a copy of his book. It's called An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. I am deliberately not asking all of those questions 
so we can support him uh, by getting this book. So the settlement conversation, what happened to the cops? There are a lot of things I could have asked, uh, not asking those questions in this conversation because I want to support this brother, Leon Ford. I do want to close with this one question, though, with the two minutes I have left. Um, tell me what you've done with P uh, what you've done with police and why you feel it's important to do it. And I've only got two and a half minutes, Leon Ford. Absolutely. So last year I co-founded the Here Foundation alongside our former Pittsburgh police chief, Scott Schubert. And uh, it's a foundation focused on mental health, workforce development, and gun violence reduction, where we incentivize collaboration between community leaders and police officers. Last week, we actually gave out $200,000 across 15 different organizations that are doing phenomenal work in Pittsburgh, collaborating with uh, Pittsburgh police, but also pouring into our young people from uh, boxing gym to training therapists to training football coaches and funding summer camps. And so uh, through collaboration, I feel I've been able to bring a lot of different stakeholders together mm. to help build a bridge between police and community in Pittsburgh. The last thing I'll say is there are over 17,500 police departments in America while they may have cultural norms that are similar, they're all governed differently. This is why I decided to focus on my relationship with Pittsburgh police and making a difference in my city. Uh, Leon Ford has found meaning and purpose and uh, value in his life, never mind uh, what they uh, did to him uh, trying to snuff out his life. Um, his book is called An Unspeakable Hope, Brutality, Forgiveness, and Building a Better Future for My Son. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. I won't tell you uh, all the details, uh, but uh, Leon Ford is fond of saying they print money. They don't print legs. They print money. They don't print legs. That gives you some sense of what happened uh, at the end of this case. Uh, and you can read more about what happened to the cops uh, when you get his book, An Unspeakable Hope. Brutality, forgiveness, and building a better future for my son. Leon Ford, all the best to you, man, and your son and your entire family in the coming months and years. Uh, this story is, again, just too surreal to, to believe it actually happened to you. Uh, and yet I appreciate your, your time uh, on our program today sharing your story. Take care, my friend. All right. Take care. Thanks for the opportunity. My great honor, brother. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> Hour three. Of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.